0: We want to turn in our Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. If you haven't been with us, we've been working our way through this great encouraging letter Paul wrote to a really good church and uh, to build them up in the faith and exhort them to live for Christ. Wednesday night, we looked at four verses in chapter 1 that I said would set up what we look at this morning. So, those of you that don't come on Wednesday nights, you're behind. So I want to take just a minute to read, just with a little minimum comment, those verses to set the stage for verse 5. Paul enters into chapter 2 saying, Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, and of course we know that all those things are real and do exist says make my joy complete by being of the same mind maintaining the same love united in spirit intent on one purpose doing nothing from selfishness or empty conceit but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves do not merely look out for your own personal interests but also those the interest of others. That's Paul's introduction, and he talks about uh, the, the tremendous ministry of fellowship and consolation and encouragement that's to be a part of church life and Christian relationships and what you share outside the church with people that are not Christians. But uh, you have the tremendous resource of Christian compassion and encouragement to share with your community and beyond. Said, "Don't do anything out of empty conceit." I like the old King James on that as vain glory. Uh, our New American had it as empty glory. Uh, don't do things for that which is going to slip away from you. That doesn't mean you can't do fun things that are not terribly earth shaking or eternally significant. But don't build your life around those things. Watch the Olympics uh, last night. What Friday night was really good watching Korea and seeing all the shots from Korea and all the setting, the geography and the, the people and the culture. And, and a lot of what they showed was a lot of fun to see. But last night it was into the competition and some strange events and they were curling. Uh, anybody else stay up all night watching curling? So I didn't stay up too late with curling. But it's shuffleboard without sticks on ice, and you, you know what I'm talking they slide these stones down to these circles, and you can't, once you release it, you can't touch it, you just sort of scrape with a broom in front of it or beside it to get it to, to move until it gets into just right, the right place and bumps the, the opponents out of the way, and your stone is now in the center of the target, and it's a pretty amazing sport. The American couple playing, competing, I thought, you know, these people have devoted a bazillion hours to sliding that stone down that little slice of ice there. Um, And that's good. I'm glad they did it. And they're representing our country well. And it's a lot of fun. And I'm sure there's a lot more to their life than that. But uh, we can invest our lives in things that are vainglory. Or we can invest our lives in what we want. And it's all about us paul really doesn't like that if ever anybody after acts chapter nine after his conversion if every, ever anybody lived a selfless life other than jesus it was the apostle paul who poured his life into the cities and the cultures and the nations the gentiles our forefathers that we might have christ and so paul is exhorting the church to be selfless now, he's going to pull in and Paul uh, sometimes he'll write for chapters on theology and then chapters on practical application. Philippians he just sort of weaves in and out of it, I think as he's going along. And he gives us that great charge and encourages us and then he gives us the ultimate the ultimate example of what he's talking about. So chapter 5 of chapter 2 verse 5 through 11 is a little theological section on Christology, which is the wing of theology that has to do with the study of the person and the ministry of Jesus Christ. So Paul, looking to Jesus, having talked about that subject, he says, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. What would Jesus do? We do need to think like Christ, Uh, have his, not only his knowledge, but his attitude about people, about circumstances, about the world, have a Christ-like worldview, have this attitude in you. You can have all the right theology and all the right knowledge and have a bad attitude and mess it all up. The Pharisees did that, didn't they? We've done that ourselves, haven't we? He says in verse 6, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. BUT HE EMPTIED HIMSELF, TAKING THE FORM OF A BONDSERVANT, OR A SLAVE, AND BEING MADE IN THE LIKENESS OF MEN. HAVE TO BE THEOLOGICALLY CAREFUL HERE, AS WE DO WITH A NUMBER OF THINGS PAUL THROWS AT US IN PHILIPPIANS. Uh, JESUS NEVER SURRENDERS HIS DEITY. HE JUST TAKES ON HUMANITY. THERE WAS NEVER A TIME WHEN JESUS DIDN'T EXIST. HE'S EXISTED INTO ETERNITY PAST, BUT AS JOHN SAYS IN JOHN 1, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And so Paul's thought is, looking back into uh, ancient times, Jesus' concerned for you, yes, you personally, uh, a general concern for lots and lots of people, but with your name on it, thought it not um, something to be grasped or something that you cling to, his equality with God? Now, what happens here in his taking on flesh, it doesn't diminish his deity. Paul's passage affirms that, his equality with God. Uh, he and the Father and the Holy Spirit make up the Christian trinity. And we affirm that through Philippians chapter 2. But he says it was not in the heart of God for that to be something uh, that's so guarded that there can't be mercy and outreach and impact on the world in general and you in particular. So it's an amazing thought. Jesus regarded it not uh, something to be hoarded or guarded or clung to at the expense of your redemption, but he emptied himself. And as he walked in, we we just celebrated Christmas and Bethlehem and we know the humble manger scene and all the story of the coming of Christ. But as Jesus comes into that, it's the adding, added layer of human servanthood on top of the deity of Christ. Not competing with it. It's not some transition. He just takes on that additional role, said being made in the likeness of men. Interesting how the Bible teaches us, and I've, I've referred to this a number of times, the way people think. Uh, the way the typical unschooled or unbiblically informed uh, non-Christian mind thinks. It tends to devalue God, uh, to take away some of his holiness, some of his greatness, some of his attributes, and bring him down to get him closer to us. That's one approach to getting God closer to you, just... Diminish who he is and bring him down to your level. At the same time, you you get into your own self-esteem and building up your own world and and feeling really good about yourself, so that you pump yourself up while you're pulling God down and and you narrow the gap where you can just kind of reach out and kind of like Michelangelo and, and touch the other side. And you say it's really not that different. I mean, he's 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 ahead of us. He's better than us. But you know, we're really pretty strong here. And you know, he's well. You know how it works. You know how people think. And Paul says, no, no, no. That's very faulty thinking. For God has never been reduced. God is omnipotent, meaning he's got all power. He's omniscient. He knows everything. You can never inform God about anything. You can pray to him and pray about what's on your heart, but you're not going to inform him. He knows everything. He's absolutely holy and pure. He's absolutely just. He's complete in his love. He's consistently good. These are the attributes of God, and they are incredible. That's how you study God. You study his attributes. And God is all of the above and not in some second-rate way. There's no B pluses with the attributes of God. It's absolutely incredible. And then the Bible turns around and says, but as for you, well, uh, there was a day in the Garden of Eden when he walked among you and was close And then this fall came and sin corrupted. And and let me tell you where you are, the Bible says to us, uh, you're part of Adam's fallen race, immersed in depravity, bogged down in sin. And so the gap is not, God's a little bit better than you. The gap is huge. The gap is so great that it's not anything that can be bridged, but for the grace of God. And that's Paul's a pleading point. Now, all of this is an illustration to guide us in those first four verses in our own attitude, in our own actions. And he says, let me tell you how, God, how great Christ is. Christ bridged that great gap from holy deity all the way down to the low shelf of your depravity and said, I still care about you. I still love you. I still want you as a part of my program my uh, my reaching love and so jesus emptied himself and he took on the form of a slave that he might do that in verse 8 he continues being found in appearance as a man he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on a cross you can read the martyrs and the people that were burned at the stake and all that, but cr- a crucifixion, it could go on for days. A horrible, horrible death and a humiliating death because it was on public display. And, and he says, not only did he die for you, he died publicly, a horrible death for you as a substitute for your sin dilemma. Even, Paul says, the death of a cross took on humility, he humbled himself. Christian humility, biblical humility, is a a wonderful thing. I was saying in the first service, and and, I relate to several foreign cultures through different things, but when when you go to Zambia or Malawi, uh, the personal virtue that seems to be, from my observation, seems to be most revered uh, by the people there is humility. And if they really want to pay you a, a very high compliment They will tell you you're humble. And they don't mean that in some, that's that's the highest compliment usually that they can bring to you. They're usually so shocked that somebody can come from a first world country like ours to a third world country like theirs and eat their food and sit around in their humble homes. It's amazing to them. But that's a jump from here to here. For Christ to come to us, that's a much, much, much greater reach It's astounding that one so great from eternity past, we cannot comprehend his person, came into our world, to some of the darkest corners of our world, and lived a perfect life, and died a perfect death, and rose victoriously. It's astounding. People were shocked in Jesus' day by his reaching love. The worst thing you could say about a man in the New Testament age was he was a tax gatherer. You might say something else about a woman, but a a man, the worst slam you, he's a tax gatherer. Either literally so, or he's like those tax collectors. And Jesus went to the amazement of all. He went to the tax collectors. Went home with Matthew. Called Matthew to be one of the 12 and gave him the incredible task of writing one of the most impactful books of the Bible the book of matthew It's a tax collectors zacchaeus was amazed that jesus wanted to go home to his house are you serious you want to come home with me and my kind of people bridging that great great gulf found in the appearance as a man for this reason god has highly exalted him And bestowed on him the name which is above every name. Our choir, if you were paying attention a little while ago, you heard our choir singing a text that comes out of this paragraph of scripture. Christ is highly exalted. And the father says to the son, return to your glory. And he ascends back to the right hand of the father. And you and I need to not only know that that happened, we need to experience and appreciate the wonder of that. It's not that Jesus is okay, or that Jesus got out of the tomb and he's alive. He is highly exalted. As Jesus highly exalted in your heart, in your mind, in your value system, and the choices you'll make tomorrow, and the prayers that you'll pray, and the songs that you'll sing, is Jesus highly exalted to you? Paul says he is. And the father having looked down at the finished work, of the, Jesus said from the cross, it is finished. And the father having looked at that and having raised him from the grave, exalts him and says, when you hear his name, isn't it amazing how people will use the name of Jesus or God and uh, listen to Ravi Zacharias talking about that whole subject for an hour the other day. But when you hear the name of Jesus, it, it ought to just set you off in a different direction. It's a different name. Now there are people that have had that name, but Jesus Christ, our Messiah, the Bible says his name is above every other name there is no rock star, sports star, politician, well-to-do. There is nobody whose name belongs on the same shelf with Jesus. And the total reality of what's out there, but in your heart also, Jesus is to be the name above every name. Reigning supreme is the Lord of your life. In verse 10, he says, So that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on the earth and under the earth. The under the earth people may be the people that are already dead and buried. It's everybody on earth, everybody in heaven, everybody everywhere, ultimately someday will bow the knee before the Lord Jesus. That doesn't, that's not universalism. That doesn't mean everybody's going to be saved. It just means that when he comes again in the fullness of his glory, there will be no denying that his name is above every other name all the theology that the Bible gives us about our Jesus Christ will be profoundly visible and true. And in terror, sheer terror, some will bow the knee, but too late. Best thing to do now is bow the knee, the knee of your heart before him, even today, even in your own personal life, and tomorrow and the next day and the next day, declaring him Lord. He says, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. When all is said and done, Jesus Christ will be Lord. When we've forgotten all the resources that we had and all the things that we treasured, when all the scores have been forgotten and the victories are fading Jesus Christ will be Lord and it will endure tomorrow and the next tomorrow and into eternity. And Paul is pleading with us to have sound theology, to be excited about the doctrine of Christ, to see him in the fullness of who he was and is and will be forever in all of his glory. And then he says, oh, and by the way, be like him. Now, you'll never be deity. You'll never have a name above every name and all that. You just identify with him. But in some of your personality and your, your own personal attributes and your character qualities, you can be like him. So Paul says, make my joy complete by being humble. Make my joy complete by you putting Jesus Christ number one in your life. And when you're through doing that, uh, you serve other people before you serve yourself. Jesus was the perfect example of that. The upper room discourse of John 13 to 17, I think is the greatest portion of the scripture, unless you talk about the cross and the resurrection. But Jesus starts that whole scene in the upper room, washing feet and even his, friends who have seen the miracles and they're just amazed at his humility and his servanthood and then jesus asked this piercing question after he had finished washing their feet and he put on his outer robe again he said do you know what i've done to you do you know i have set a new standard you too must be servants to the nations to the world every knee must bow and every tongue confess there's a chorus uh, jonathan 's going to lead you in. Some of you would know it was it became the theme song of First Baptist Atlanta years ago uh, when I was a member up there before seminary, and we sang it almost every Sunday, but it came out of these verses, but you need to get up in about five minutes and when you 're through talking to everybody in the pews go out the doors and back to your life, knowing, remembering meditating on the reality that Jesus Christ is Lord and you need to bow your knee and the knee of your heart and let your tongue confess through compassionate Christian witness that Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's good Christianity. Paul says, I want you to be practical. I want you to be humble. But if you're struggling with that, you just Turn and look at Jesus. Read the gospel. Read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Look at the life of Jesus. See what the apostles say about him. He is the standard. Not some earthly hero or some uh, star that's going to come and go tomorrow. But Jesus is the standard. And he is the name way above every other name. And we must bow before him and allow him to bless and direct and guide our lives that we might be found in the center of his life, living out lives of Christian, godly humility. So says the book of Philippians. Will you join me in prayer? Father, we're grateful this morning that you love us so very, very much. That gap between your holiness and our sinfulness is a gap too big. And you have reached it through the cross, through the finished work of the cross. And you've invited us into a relationship with you. Lord, may it be that today we respond in our hearts to that, that we grow in our awareness of that, that we grow profoundly in our gratitude for that. So, Lord, uh, send us out as your humble servants, as humble ambassadors for Christ, so that we might be the salt and light of Lawrence County and even places that are way, way, way out there. Lord, thank you for uh, this day and the time together. Bless us in these closing moments of our service as we look to you. And I pray if there's anyone here today that's never bowed the knee to Jesus Christ, that they might find believing faith and grace to do exactly that. Lord, we look to you with thanksgiving and praise in Jesus' name. Amen.